There are those who say that life is an illusion and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Welcome back to the Godbox Cafe. This is going to be an absolutely personal delight for me as I have been waiting for the longest time to find the appropriate individual who would serve as our guest to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart and is essential to the well-being of humanity as we progress and transition into a world that demands that we start building community and reconnecting with nature in a way that we support and are cooperative. I am so happy to be able to introduce you to Sarah Donahue, an herbalist who is beyond compare. We will tell you at the end of the show how you can get in touch with her to reap the benefits of the skills that she is providing. And she has a blog that I have been following religiously. She has a wealth of information. And the best part is she's based out of Cornwall. I'm telling you now, even though my feet have never tread on the soil, Cornwall is one of the most magical places on the planet. I know this in the depth of my being and it's on my bucket list. So that is another reason my five-year-old has come out to play because Cornwall to me is a place where extraordinary things are possible and she is going to share this with us. So without me further adding to this anticipation, please welcome Sarah Donahue to the God Box Cafe. Hello, thank you so much for having me on today. It's just a joy to speak to you and to connect across all of these miles. I hope that your listeners will find this conversation interesting and healing. And I'm sure we're going to cover many, many topics that will be of of great interest to everyone listening, hopefully. Oh, of this I'm certain. Uh, So, Sarah, let's start with how it was that herbalism was the thing that you wanted to pursue and are now sharing that knowledge with a broader scope of customers and people who will now be able to use that wisdom that has long before been something denied to us because let's face it I had the privilege of working with the indigenous communities and was taught about plant medicine obviously not to the extent that you have studied it but the one thing that I was told was well now you need to honor your own ancestors and I thought well there's a high probability that most of my ancestors were killed and so the wisdom of the wise woman who was burned because she was the midwife because she was escorting souls and doing all the heavy lifting when it came to connecting people with the medicine of the plants, all of them were murdered by the millions. And it is a lineage that has been cut off that you are reawakening so that the young people and the generations to come will have access to that information once again. So bless you from the bottom of my heart for doing so. Oh, it's so moving to hear you say it in those words. I think there are a number of strands and themes that have sort of run through my life that have crossed at many points 
but never fulfilled their destiny because other things have been happening. But I've always returned to this space and I feel that now is the time that I'm ready to step into that role and all the other experiences have just kind of been leading up to that. So I think the first place that I remember learning about herbs was walking with my granddad who used to take us on holiday and we you know what it's like children are very close to the ground aren't they so they're always looking at the feet and they don't want to trip over or jumping over the cracks in the pavement so I would notice the weeds and he would point them out as we were walking and talking and it was kind of a walking meditation we would look at the plants as we were you know wandering around and I remember really vividly one day that he'd taken us to a park and I fell off a climbing frame and he just picked a plant and chewed it up in his mouth and to my horror just put it on my leg on my bruised grazed knee and I remember just thinking how amazing that nature is there when you need it and it you know it's just it's not wasn't anything that was taught to us in school but the instinct to reach out for the plants that are there at the moment that you need them and well another example I, I took a, a medicine to a lady who was one of my patients the other day and she was so apologetic about her garden I'm so sorry all of these weeds I, I need I know that I need to get around and tidy up the garden and there was a great big yellow dock right on the path and I said you do know that this bottle I've just brought you contains that plant that you're not shaming but you know we feel we don't have that connection so I think the first connection to nature was through my childhood but then as I got older I was quite a spotty teenager and I was always looking for things to making little recipes you know how children make dandelion perfumes and you know all these kinds of things I thought there must be something it didn't even occur to me to go to the chemist or I just it just didn't it just wasn't on the radar and I thought I will find something and I will make it myself and I remember finding a book in the library which was a cool pepper book it was produced by the herb society I don't know if you know much about cool pepper and it was only a very thin book but I remember thinking if I need to I can find out will be somebody that will know what to do and that book was sort of the first book that I had on my bookshelf and unbeknownst to me, it was published by the Herb Society, which I am now, coincidentally, an ambassador of the Herb Society. And the lady who was the founder of the Herb Society was a lady called Mrs. Lale. And her history is just so fascinating. She was actually the wife of a doctor. And very often he would be out on calls. And when somebody came to the door in an emergency, the doctor wasn't there so she would be the person that opened the door and welcomed them in and gave them a cup of herbal tea and made, let them wait in the parlour while the doctor came back and she was a very educated lady but at the time women weren't allowed to go to university so it was impossible for her to study to be a doctor and um, however she was in a house with all of these books and all of these resources and she educated herself and her whole mission was to make sure that, yes, there is a medicine for the orthodox medicine, but there's also a medicine of the people and it's there if you need it. And I think she wasn't listened to, I suppose, at the time, but she was very re well respected. 
and because she was quite an eminent position in society she did have a certain amount of clout and she set up it was originally called the Society of Herbalists and it's now the Herb Society which encompasses gardeners and all any branch of herbs that people are interested in and the connection between me picking up that book and me now as an ambassador for Mrs Lale I feel it's just such a chain of events has led me to that point. I hope that's not a very long and waffled, drawn out answer. But yes, it's. I think I've always kind of been on this path. But I think we've all been on this path, all of us. We just listen to the wrong people. And sometimes instead of following what our hearts and we know what to do, we always search for power or authority or answers outside of ourselves because we know that or we believe that experts have the answer or this branch of medicine may have the answer I mean even within herbal medicine we look to Ayurveda we look to Chinese herbs we look to western medicine but really the answers are in here that's my two pennies that is so not a long-winded answer. That is a thorough and well thought out and sensitive way of, I always like to hear the personal stories because that's something everyone can connect to. And we have to start changing vocabulary and start changing our thinking. So the whole notion of weed to me is repulsive. I don't believe there is such a thing as a weed. So I was taught about, for example, the fact that people spray incessantly when dandelions appear and I know full well that the dandelion is an indication first of a missing nutrient in the soil. And then second of all, it works to help cleanse the liver, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe you need to pay attention to some issues regarding your liver if you've got that many dandelions in proximity, because the plants show up in terms of what it is that we most need. At least that's been my experience and it's been astonishing. Even in the garden that I am growing, other things spontaneously appear that I connect to because I know they're there and they're trying to tell me something. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. I gave a talk and the topic of the talk was to, it was to a gardening club actually. Um, and the topic was weeds as medicine. And I specifically chose that word because gardeners like to have beautiful gardens and everything in its place and, and they look so wonderful gorgeous rose garden but the idea of a weed and you know throwing just throwing it away on the compost heap I thought right here's an opportunity to change that narrative and do say actually you do understand that that's a very very valuable resource in your garden and perhaps you want to take a look on your compost heap and have a look through the kinds of things that you are sifting through and what is desirable in your garden is an ecosystem and there was a lady and she looked really quite cross and I thought oh god you know somebody's gonna put the hand up at the end and say something about well I don't agree with you and she came up to me at the end and she was almost in tears and she said, do you know all of those things that you were talking about? My grandma used to say about leave the weeds in place, don't throw the weeds away, they're valuable. And she said, the reason why I was so quiet was because I felt so annoyed with myself. And she said, you've really made me realise now and sit up and think about this is a valuable plant material not just in monetary value but in so many different ways and a similar thing happened actually with a women's institute talk that I gave 
and there was a lady at the back and she said you know those recipes gave her a feeling of not so I can't really think of the right word for it again because we just don't have the vocabulary it's all been lost not so much nostalgia or a feeling of home of connection and she said now when I feel ill as a child her mother would go and make something in the kitchen for her and she said now I wouldn't even think about doing that and yet I do know how to do it it's just that I've lost the not even the knowledge because the knowledge was there she's kind of been trained out of it I suppose is the way that I would say that and she said do you know I I will make something myself rather than just go to the chemist next time and the whole idea of we fed this message all of the time we're so fortunate here in the UK that we have a national health service which is just on its knees at the moment you know, we must take pressure off the NHS. We must relieve the burden of the doctors and nurses. And I think, here I am. Here we all are. And yet we must not raise our head above the parapet in fear of being challenged. And I think the time now has come to speak out for all of those people who have not been able to speak out or who were silenced in the past. I think now coming to terms with the idea that It's quite scary to put your head above the parapet and say, well, actually, I think this, because there's always going to be a a section of society that are not ready or able to take those views on board. But I think not to say it as a as a physician, the motto is do no harm. And if I sit in silence, then I am not fulfilling the role of do no harm because silence is not necessarily agreeing, but you're not challenging the narrative and you're not moving things forward. So I almost feel that I have to speak out about these things because if I don't do it, who is going to? It's difficult. And I must admit, I am learning slowly to find a right way to speak out with love. And actually, very interestingly, I was employed for a short time by the NHS as a herbalist. And there was a pot of money for that that's now gone away. In this country, there were formerly four homeopathic hospitals funded by the National Health Service. And a gentleman who came on one of my walks quite recently, who was trained as a priest, And he said, as part of my training, we were actually trained as healers. And he trained at a homeopathic hospital as part of his clerical degree. And I think in the past, it's easy to say, isn't it? Oh, in the past, you know, we were all silenced. But I think there, there is something about that that hasn't been brought forward, maybe because we're afraid of speaking out. And if we had spoke out at the time, then perhaps some of these things may not have been lost. I just want that statement to sink in because as it stands now, we are going through a global change that involves the dissolution of various institutions, including educational, financial, and medical. So the good news is that as a consequence of that falling away, there are those much like yourself who have this beautiful, loving, unconditional, generous spirit, just because you're conveying information in a gentle, supportive way doesn't mean that that information doesn't have value. We don't have to pound our chests and shake our spears and be confrontational about making the change. The change is happening whether we like it or not. And what you said earlier rings so true. 
the power that we have, we don't have to give away. So a person in a white lab coat may have a certain understanding based on their education that may not even be applicable to a circumstance you find yourself in. And what you are sharing is wisdom that has gone on for thousands upon thousands of years. And it is my belief that the plants were created to be in a synthesis of spiritual understanding. So much as that gentleman who was trained in the clerical arts came to understand that we are not just the sum of our parts. It's not about specializing in just the brain or just the left or right nostril or just the eyes. We are beings that are occupying a vessel, but you can't deal with all of those things separately. You have to deal with it as a whole. And that is precisely what you are advocating. And you are not taking anyone's power away by showing them how to go foraging for something that could be of great value to boost one's immune system that costs you nothing. Mm -hmm. The one thing I wanted to make a distinction about, because a lot of people don't know what wild foraging is versus growing a garden that has medicinal plants like nettle and comfrey. So do you incorporate the foraging into what you are educating the the public at large? Mm. Again, this is quite an interesting topic. I was educated at Regents College in London and as part of my degree we had access to the amazing resources at Kew Gardens which is really a beautiful botanical laboratory actually if you think about it it's just this study that's going on there in this plant saving and it's just a fabulous place and we did actually grow a lot of our medicines from seed and it was a five-year course so over those five years we would watch the plants grow and then come to a point where we would then learn how to process those into tinctures or capsules and powders and various different things. But the one aspect of the course which was quite lacking was in actually going out and identifying plants in situ. And again, it's this element of control, I suppose, isn't it, that we can grow things from seed, but to find things in nature takes a bit requires a little bit more effort I suppose so I've had to kind of backtrack on that and teach myself quite a lot of plant identification and it's very interesting watching different things through the seasons I mean realistically it's almost impossible isn't it to source everything from your locale because not everything grows there not everything is in season it may be in a polluted area well one example I'll tell you which I'm actually quite passionate about which again it's a double-edged sword isn't it it's brilliant that people are starting to learn more about nature and want to get out there and forage but there's still this element I believe of a lack of awareness it's not all about us it's also about the plants and their needs so I made a beautiful batch of elderflower cordial for a botanical workshop I did in the springtime and when I came back to my foraging spot in to collect the berries in the autumn as I usually do no berries none and it was because all of the flowers had been picked all of them so there was nothing left to, to harvest apart from things that were right at the top of the tree that you would need some sort of abseil and you get equipment to, to get hold of. And I think perhaps people weren't aware that the, there wouldn't be any berries and they just picked them because they weren't aware that that was what would happen. Or it may have been that people were just over 
origins, things that they just thought what, what they, they could take it all and not leave any for anybody else. So there's still this element of education. It's not just about uh, being able to identify the plant and being able to go out and find it. Brilliant. That's great. Let's all educate ourselves, but let's all have the foragers code in mind that we also need to be ethical about leaving things for the birds too and other creatures. It's this is a challenge. And I would also say over the years of foraging, if we want to call it that, because sometimes I would just go out just to say hello to the plants, not necessarily to gather them, but just to greet them, you know. You see them looking a bit sadder or a bit sadder, you know, because the soil is depleting or you know a new road has been put in or I must admit this year which has been quite nice we've done a no mow may so everything was kind of left to grow quite wild uh, which was beautiful for a time but then people did begin to litter so I think it's a it's for some people it gave a signal that we were just like not caring so there is this whole aspect of educating everybody right from school age about respect for nature in all of its forms. And I think there is still quite some way to go with that. Oh, from your lips to God's ears, that's most assuredly something that I have absolutely been on a soapbox about with respect to the idea of creating a curriculum that incorporates prioritizing this type of interaction and revitalizing that connection. As you pointed out, your grandfather walked you through this. And this is another thing that needs to happen. The elders and the children being in the same place at the same time. Exactly. And it is beginning to happen. There's a beautiful uh, program now, which I'm part of. um, It's called the Junior Herbalist Club. And as an ambassador for the Herb Society, I have trained or I will be training to uh, run those courses. And it is recognised by the National Institute of Medical Herbalists and it's certified. So it's, it's a full training curriculum. It's a two year curriculum. And that engages children to actually say, you know, you can be a herbalist as a career, as a job not just a hobby or something that you read about in a book we need this and I think to encourage children to see it as part of something that adults take seriously and have respect for and from a young age to be engaged in that is really great and the lady who runs the course is actually going to Australia next year I believe to begin to train herbalists in Australia so very slowly there are a few of us that are trying to bit by bit ensure that it doesn't just stop with us and I mean this is the whole thing about sustainability isn't it people use this buzzword but sustainability is ensuring that things last for the future and the way to do that is certainly to teach children and to encourage them not just to be outside in nature but to know how to be at one with nature And that is a lifelong joy and always the schoolhouse is always brimming with adventures. It's not as though you reach a certain point where you've seen it all and know it all. So that's the beauty of creation in and of itself. And naturally, if you went on an herb walk in England, it would be very different if you went on an herb walk here. And that was the other thing the Indigenous community were so generous about, the whole notion of making sure that the world was a better place when you left it versus the way you found it. And the idea of taking only 10% of whatever grouping of plants you were foraging so that it would allow the plants to replenish themselves so you would have a harvest for the years to come. I found exactly the same thing, interestingly enough, in a different continent. No elderberries. 
Really? In four of the parks that I normally would gather enough to make syrup because the elderberry syrup is remarkable. I use it all the time to boost the immune system when the winters get cold here, but I could not harvest enough to be able to make the regular amount of batch. There was a bit of a, a drought with respect to precipitation here too that would to some degree be accountable for that, but people also have a tendency who are seeking from a spirituality standpoint. So when they gather sage or they buy frankincense, they don't realize that mass consumption with regards to limited resources is something that also has to be taken into account. So now sage is endangered and frankincense is endangered because of the fact that so many people are saying, oh, well, now I'm going to have to clear the energies in my home. So I'm going to use it here and use it here. And then there isn't any conscious awareness that consuming that has to be replenished and you have to make the allowances for that. So I think everything that you are doing to increase the awareness of the general public of these alternatives, but also understanding that we have been conditioned into consuming to a point where we just assume that there will always be enough of something and that we don't have to worry about making sure that it's still available. This is part of the mindset that needs to change. Exactly. I think people are beginning to be more aware. And actually, going back to the point that I was mentioning before about the the doctors and the GPs, I have a, a lovely friend who trained as a, on, on our course. She was an acupuncturist, but she's also a, a GP. And I think this is the, the mindset, you know, she said, sometimes, Sarah, people will come and see me and I want to suggest these things to them. But because they've come to see me in my capacity as a GP, I can't always do that. And so I don't, I'm not here to, to bash the medical professional in any way, shape or form. I think those people have gone into that as a healing profession. They really genuinely want to help. It's I think it's the system itself that is broken and the way that we are perceiving our health is that it can be an overnight fix and if it doesn't work then I'll just go to the herb shop and buy something from there and if not then I'll Dr Google get on there and find out how to do it myself it's this quick fix all of the time isn't it instead of trying to find a balance and a harmony and to and also to accept we do get ill and there are lessons to be learned from that and it's not all about having the optimum health and being happy and jolly and joyful all of the time the tide goes in the tide goes out we have to have both of these things and I think sometimes certain experiences the plants are there to support you on your journey back to wellness but they're not there to do the job for you it's your body itself that has to be put in the right frame to, in order to mount the healing response. And the herbs support you in doing that, but they're not working in the same way as a, you know, an allopathic quick fix medicine is going to be. So I, I do think there is a shift that is happening and people are starting to get it. But I think it needs to begin earlier on, as we were mentioning before. Can you address the notion as we move into the idea of medicine and the purpose of medicine, prevention versus a cure. So if the awareness is such that, let's use elderberry as an example, taking a 
a spoon of that every morning during the winter months will boost your body's capabilities of protecting itself against airborne organisms. So getting into a habit of creating these types of things where you boost the already built-in capacity of your body to do what it needs to do. So how much of what your engagement with your clients is about the preventive side of the spectrum as well? Mm, that's really interesting. I, I, again, it's funny, actually, I met, met my friend who is the acupuncturist only last week, so perhaps that's why she's on my mind. Um, and I was asking her about, she has an, quite an elderly mother who has been in hospital and she wanted to make sure that the environment that they're in, they're coming into contact with COVID and flu viruses and all of these things. How can we help people in those environments to stay well rather than have to rely on alternative methods? And I said, you're a trained acupuncturist. Are you allowed to go into the home and do the acupuncture on your mum? Which to me doesn't actually sound like, you know, it's my mum. I'm visiting them. I'm an acupuncturist. I want to participate in their healthcare. And she said, I know. And I said, well, can you do little bits? And she said, well, yes, I do. But actually, even if I did do the acupuncture, because she is so old, there isn't enough chi to mount the response. So she was quite happy with how the situation was. She was able to do small things for her. I think, for example, you know, those ear seeds. I mean, I'm not an acupuncturist, so I don't actually know. I shouldn't really comment because what I'm saying, I, I don't, I'm not an authority on. But I think she gave her some sort of stress relief and put things on acupuncture points. And they, she was doing things like this. So I think it is difficult, isn't it? And I always think of taking herbs as a preventative measure, almost a little bit like when if you wash your hair with the same shampoo, every single day eventually your hair gets used to that shampoo and you need a change so people say well I take elderberry every single day and so I, I always say to them why are you doing that and sometimes they'll stand back in absolute disbelief and say well because I've read all of these things it's so good for your immune system and I said well why are you doing it and they don't know so I think you have to have an understanding about why you are doing something as well as just taking it by rote, because that's, again, somebody outside of yourself has said that that is the thing to do. So I think, as in regards as preventative medicine goes, I honestly think a dose of fresh air is good as a tonic, in my concern, move, get out, get the air, get a good night's sleep, enjoy yourself in moderation, and somebody said to me the other day, the best way to boost your immune system is to walk like a happy teenager. So I make a conscious effort now when I go to the supermarket. If I think that I'm, you know, oh, I'm having a bad day and snooping down, and it really changes your mental outlook, the way you hold yourself. And I think if we are carrying a lot of these thoughts around with us all of the time, then it doesn't matter how much elderly you're going to take because it's really not touching the sides. <laughs> but again I, I can be quite controversial sometimes it's not that I don't recommend that elderberry of course it's fabulous medicine but I think it, it's about learning respective plants isn't it and realizing why being more, more conscious of the things that we are doing in our everyday life which are in some making a difference to our health I think that's a key point here as far as the notion of doing something habitually 
I was also taught by the indigenous community when they were telling me about hunting, and I didn't want to hear about hunting. So the notion of killing an animal was definitely not on my radar. But what they had indicated to me was not so much about teaching me how to hunt. What they were trying to point out to me was when they were choosing an animal in a herd, and they would pray to the spirit of that animal who was making its sacrifice. But what they shared with me was that it was the animal that did the same thing over and over again that had the least amount of life force. And that would be the one that they would target. That's interesting, isn't it? So isn't that just a beautiful example of how much life force do we have? So that idea of that chi ebbing away from us could very well be because we are walking with a bag of rocks on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. And if you drop the bag of rocks, then maybe that will change your attitude and then your body will respond in kind. So as you're indicating, St. John's wort is a sun plant and that would be why it would help where depression is concerned because it's beaming this yellow, brilliant, shining light by way of the blossoms. And we need to beam our own light. And the fear of being rejected or criticized or judged could easily be one rock at a time we're putting on our backs. So that is such a, a brilliant point, that whole notion of just doing something because you were told to do it or because everybody else is doing it. That's not a good enough reason. So once again, thank you for, for sharing that brilliance because it really does matter. Being mindful, as the new buzzword is, being mindful about all of these things, but also doing it in a playful fashion. So that brings me to the next possibility here with the idea of not looking to plants just from a medicinal standpoint, but also looking to them as ways of celebrating something and bringing in the essence of that plant. For example, myrtle, you know, myrtle was worn as a crown for the bride when she was being married, but it was also put on the graves of the dead. So you have a plant that is interdimensional. It's going to walk your spirit through the most important points of your existence. Did you want to touch on that as far as how we can engage with plants in a way that aren't strictly just, okay, I need a cure for something? Gosh, that really is an interesting question, isn't it? I think at the moment I've been experimenting with some really beautiful essential oils and it's not something I've trained in. But again, when you're sort of starting out in herbal medicine, that's one of the most accessible points, isn't it? You can go and buy a beautiful uh, aroma and carrying it on your heart. There have been times when I've had anxiety about maybe attending an interview or going to a funeral or just an event that's quite a significant point in your life and I always have to have in my bag one of those little standby because it's almost like your plant ally or like you would have a talisman I suppose some people would may have a crystal or a rock or there is there are certain oils that I have that I reach for in those circumstances because the scent of them it is like a friend so yeah maybe from that point of view and I, I'm also very interested in physic gardens and the plants that grow in cemeteries, because very often the old monasteries would have a healing herb garden in them. 
And so often you go to cemeteries and you see the same plants growing in the, and it's so abundant, you know, in that, and you think, well, why in this area? And it's because the plants regenerate, don't they? Every year they go to sleep and then they come back again. And that symbolism, I think, particularly in a cemetery or a graveyard, if you go to visit a grave at a certain time of the year, like usually Christmas, people go or landmarks in the year of birthday and they will see that that plant is there at that particular time it's almost like it lifts you up there's a poem I can't bring it to mind but I will send it to you and perhaps you can share it with your listeners and it is about the plants in the graveyard and the messages that they bring to the visitors that come to see their loved ones I wish I could recite it off by heart but I'm afraid I can't so yeah there is certainly an emotional, a very, very, very deep emotional connection to those plants. Just by looking at them, they make you feel better. Trees are a brilliant example. I used to walk to work every day and it was a job I really hated. And I would walk walk past this tree every day and I always felt, felt it was saying to you, oh, it'll be okay, go on, carry on. You know, like I'd meet it on the way to work every morning in such a bad mood. And it would always be, all right, Sarah. So it's kind of an unspoken connection, an ally in some form. I want to tap into that whole idea of trees. And I want to give you an example of what I have observed. During the course of the lockdown, there were certain areas that one wouldn't be able to traverse in terms of the public, which normally we have a massive park here in Toronto. It's called High Park and there's acres and acres and every tree known to North America would have at least one representative within the the tree population of High Park. There is one area that has a lot of cherry trees and Toronto is blessed with being multicultural. So you have people from all over the world who come here and have their own customs and cultural norms. So you'd have a large portion of the Asian population going over to the cherries when they would blossom because that's part of their culture. So this whole respect for the cherry blossoms. Now that park was not accessible, but there is another one that has a line of cherry trees that had recently been planted. I kid you not, over the two years that people wouldn't go to where they normally were able to access, when these cherry trees were blossoming and the people would come in droves to hug them, to take photos around them, the trunk of the trees of that little lineup of new saplings doubled in size in the two years. It was literally perceptible to anyone. I saw these trees because they're in my neighborhood and I looked at them two years later. The trunks are massive. And this is because of the attention that was given to them. I'm still speechless by, by having seen that. So it what the trees give back to us. And we have a very short growing season here. So in the days when you had to live off of the land, the trees would be sustaining you for a multitude of ways that if you didn't have any plants on hand that weren't blooming because you had snow, then you knew what to do where the trees were concerned. Is this part of your practice as well? The idea of helping people with understanding and recognizing the value of trees? Oh, I think it should be even more so. You know, the word tree hugger has got such terrible connotations, hasn't it? It's used as a derogatory term. And yet I saw a documentary not long ago. I think it was an artist. It was a kind of a performance art 
piece that they were doing and it was just asking people to just sit with the tree and do nothing else and a lot of people were oh all right and I'll do it for the video you know and they sat there for five minutes and just left after time and you would see people would begin to cry or perhaps sing or breathe and the reaction of the people just being in the presence of the tree I mean it was overwhelming it was complete silence and they would just sit there for an hour but watching the silent communication between the tree and the person as a piece of performance art but also as an actual experience it's mind-blowing and I think in the old landscape trees like yew trees because they live for so many years ancient trees thousands of years were on maps as waypoints so that people knew how long they had to go to get to a certain point and those stopping off points I'm sure people would sit underneath those trees and think about their journeys and where they were going and where they'd been and what they were leaving behind and where they were going to. And this deep connection. I mean, we're learning so much at the moment, aren't we, about the mycelium and the mushrooms and the way that they connect. And if you think how deep down those tree roots go into the earth, I mean, it's bizarre not to think that the same thing isn't happening. The interconnectedness isn't there. I just can't believe we've got to this stage in our history without doing research on it. But again, do we need to research these things? We already know. We know inside, don't we? We all feel it. We can't explain it, but we can all feel it. I think that more than anything else, the notion of reawakening the intuitive process And I think to some degree, that's also a very, uh, when the goddess was worshipped, there was a lot more of that to be found. And bringing back that notion of the divine feminine and the divine feminine finding a voice, I truly believe that, that the plants also have a voice. And if we just take the time to listen, they have a lot, a lot to share just as you do. And being actively present and receptive to hearing what it is that they're telling us is also a path towards wholeness and healing, isn't it? Mm. I think, you know, just talking to a tree, how therapeutic is that? No, non-judgmental, sit and you see illustrations in children's book, books with children reading books underneath the branches of a tree. And it's so instinctive to go to the tree. And there's so much mythology behind the notion of the tree of life, say, in the Nordic with regards to Odin hanging from Yggdrasil and then getting the runes uh, as a reward. So tapping into this universal knowledge was by way of the tree because you have the branches going up to the sky and the roots in the depths of the earth and the connection between sky and earth. It doesn't get better than that. And naturally, they're producing the oxygen with which we breathe. So their value is beyond measure. It's priceless on on all fronts. So what are your recommendations for someone who may be just starting out on this adventure to reconnecting with the plant kingdom? What would you advise as the best ways to start approaching that from a clean slate where a person has no, no knowledge or understanding or, but really motivated and wants to get engaged? I think the first thing to do is to walk your land, wherever that is, 
go outside even if it's 10 minutes every day in a small circle but get to know that area really really well get to know the individual plants really really well and then widen your area but the most important thing to do is to start and don't be afraid because it can feel very overwhelming there's a lot of information out there however as we've said all along it's about what's in here not what other people can teach you it's your learning journey and I think just engage in the things that you're drawn to if it's trees mushrooms leaves essential oils nature is there for all of us to enjoy and being part of nature we're part of nature we think nature is outside of us but we're not you know so I really think walking get outside is is the best thing that is my very simple and straightforward well sometimes the simple answer is the most profound one and complexity doesn't necessarily convey true meaning so that will absolutely suffice. Sarah, how can people get in touch with you? Because I would definitely recommend that they read your blog as diligently as I do, because you're sharing precisely that, your own personal experiences and what you encounter, which is always of great value to anyone who is just embarking on this journey. Well, thank you. That's so kind. Yes, my blog is on Substack. It's a newsletter that you can subscribe to. It's a free for everybody. I publish every week. You can subscribe as a paid subscriber if you want to do that. And that is more sort of long form posts for people that really do want to get into the nitty gritty and want to get on board making their own projects. But if you're just interested as a, a beginner and you just want to learn about more about nature and read about my walking adventures, <laughs> which is a, I do talk about walking quite a lot. Yeah, I post pictures of Cornwall and the things that we are making and doing here. Please come along and have a browse. That's called The Herbalist's Diary, and that can be found on Substack. Magnificent. And I will be sure to post that in the show notes so people can get in touch with you themselves should they have any other questions, because you have dedicated a great number of years to your craft and that has value and meaning. So if someone has any queries as far as what the next step might be, then you could most assuredly give them some additional foundational information that would be of value that they can integrate and utilize when they go on their walks and reconnect with plants. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I look forward to sharing this with the community at large and their children so that we can be sure that the future is secured for generations to come on the basis of precisely what it is that you are doing. Bless you, Sarah, for walking your talk and sharing this wonderful experience. I am hoping that we will have a chance to have further conversations once people have had the opportunity to go on these adventures and start comparing notes and sharing and contributing and building community. Once again, thank you so generously for giving of your time and for dedicating your life towards that reawakening of the connection that we have with Mother Earth and all of those beautiful beings that live on her. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. And I'm sure our paths will cross again in the very near future. There's so much to talk about. 
I could talk to you all day on this subject. Yes, I'm really grateful for this space that you're offering to people to find out about these things and to bring this community together. There are more of us as time goes by. And I'm just very, very grateful to you for sharing this knowledge on your platform. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Best of all possible wishes. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. I'd like to take this opportunity to wish everyone a happy year of the water rabbit. This is season two of the podcast, and we have a long lineup of magnificent people. And of course, we're going to have Sarah back for more conversations about the plant kingdom. Lots to look forward to. If you feel this information is of value, please pass it on to all of those you think would appreciate it and consider subscribing.